Our God is an awesome God. Shout to the Lord all the earth and let us sing. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well, it is well with my soul. Waymaker, miracle worker, Jesus. Well, good morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you are here today. Man, what an incredible morning to be together in this place and to worship Jesus. Somebody say amen. 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 Man, it's just, man. Sometimes, I don't know about you, I just love that I get to come to church here and to worship together with all of you. Thank you to the worship band. You guys are amazing. And I'm so grateful to be able to be ushered into the presence of God this morning by you, with you in this place. Uh, before we begin today, I just I had this on my heart uh, this week and this morning. And I wanted to kind of start with this. Raise your hand. If you've been here at Riverside, if you've been a part of this church for, let's say, more than 10 years. Anybody more than 10 years? Yeah. All right, keep your hands up if you've been here more than 20 years. You got anybody 20 years or more? Yeah, 30 years? Yeah, incredible, incredible. Now, raise your hand if either you're somewhere between this is my first Sunday here or I've been here two years or less, somewhere in that range. Yeah, look at that. Isn't that amazing? So, uh, yeah, praise God for that. I mean, we don't say this enough, but I just want to start this morning by, by saying thank you, especially to those of you who've been a part of this church for a long, long time. Uh, your faithfulness to this church, your commitment to this faith family, uh, your, your desire to be a part of this church through the ups and downs, the highs and lows, over the long haul, uh, it's the reason that I believe that the future of Riverside is so bright. You have given sacrificially. You have served selflessly. You've been a part of things. You've shown up over and over again. And because of you, there were people in the room this morning at, at 845. There are people in the room now that will have an opportunity to encounter Christ here in this place because of your love and your dedication and your faithfulness to this church. And we're living in a world right now where, where that's a bit of a rare thing, you know. And, and I want to just pause and say thank you to all of you who, who have decided to lean in and to be a part of not just a church because... That could mean a lot of things, right? But to be a part of a faith family and, and to stick with it. And, and I'm so thankful to, for you and for your presence and your love for this church. Today, it, we're in the middle of a series that we're simply calling Jesus Music. And I, I want to start with this question today. So just think about how you would answer this. How do you feel? How do you feel when the load that you carry is too heavy and your center of gravity is off? How do you feel when that happens to you? When the load that you carry is just so heavy and you feel like your center of gravity is off. Uh, for a lot of you, when, when you hear the phrase Jesus music, what you think about are the 1970s. In the 1970s, this idea of Jesus music really came on the scene. There was a, a new kind of music that was sort of entering the world and entering the church. It all started in Southern California 
all of a sudden these people started walking into churches that had long hair, uh, playing keyboards and guitars and drum sets, and it was loud, and a lot of people didn't like it. Uh, it was new, it was different, and the song sounded a lot like what you might hear on the radio, this rock and roll music, and now it's coming into church, this rock music, and, and a, lot of, a lot of churches didn't like it. In fact, they were adamantly opposed to it because the music was that rock and roll style of music and the lyrics, they were about Jesus and, and it became known as Jesus music. In fact, in 1971, June, uh, July 21st, June 21st, June 21st, 1971, this was the cover of Time magazine. They called it the Jesus Revolution, And this movement started sweeping across the country. And in fact, in 1972, it came right here to Dallas, right here to the Cotton Bowl. The, the campus Crusaders for Christ were having a, a huge conference here in Dallas. And, and uh, Billy Graham was going to preach and he was adamant. Even though his, his, his advisors were opposed to this, he wanted this Jesus music here at this conference in Dallas. And it was a, it was a big deal. This Jesus movement was sweeping across the country. In this moment here in Dallas in the Cotton Bowl, it was actually an incredibly significant moment in this movement, in this Jesus revolution. Then you fast forward a few more years, 1977 comes around, and this guy by the name of Keith Green comes on the scene. Keith and his wife, Melody, are on the scene. They have a ministry that's, that's kind of really being born. Keith is a piano player, and he can play. Man, he can play. Go, go home today and, and just look up on YouTube, Keith Green. This guy could play the piano like nobody's business. Unbelievable. Almost as good as Chris. I mean, almost that good, right? Unbelievable. And he could write songs, songs with lyrics that just cut you right to the heart. Unbelievable lyrics, unbelievable songs. Their ministry was really taking off. Uh, so much so that he had such a heart for people and heart, such a heart for God. I mean, he was recording these songs. His, his first, his first uh, single, it, it, we would say it went viral. Like, it, you know, it, it rose to the top of the charts really quickly. And, and then all of a sudden in 1979, he decides to leave his record company. He, he decided that people, people shouldn't have to pay for his music, Right. He's traveling the country. He's singing these songs, leading thousands of people in worship. But he's convicted that people should pay whatever they want to pay for his music. They shouldn't be charged a price for it. So he leaves his record label. He and his wife, they refinance their house so they can pay for his next album. And they sell it out of the garage, right? Except they don't really sell it. They send over 200,000 copies all around the world. And they just tell people, pay whatever you want. Some people did, but 60,000 of those albums, they gave away for free. Unbelievable. Their ministry is booming. It's flourishing. He's traveling all over the U.S., leading people in worship, singing these songs that he's right and recording more records. And it comes to a point where he needs to kind of relocate. They sell their home in California. They move out here to East Texas and buy a ranch. They need a place that's a little more central where he can get around the country a little bit easier to do this as their ministry continues. And it's just amazing what's happening right now as everything continues to grow and flourish. And, and it's awesome. But all that came to a tragic end in 1982 when Keith Green was killed in a plane crash. He was here at his uh, ranch in East Dallas, and he and Melody, his wife, had had some friends out to the ranch, John and Dee Dee Smalley and their six children. Uh, John and Dee Dee were about to, to plant a new church, 
And uh, Keith and Melody wanted to encourage them and love on them and bless them and help them as they got started on this really important work for the kingdom. And, and, and Keith had promised John and Dee Dee and his kids, hey, I'll, I'll show you the ranch from the air. I want to give you the aerial view. It's really, really cool. You need to see this. And so their ministry was leasing a plane in 1973, Cessna 414, seven-seater plane. He told his pilot, Don Burmeister, hey, would you go out and get the plane ready? It's a hot day in Texas in July. Raise your hand if you know what that feels like. Everybody's hand goes up, right? Yeah, hot day in Texas in July. Keith and two of his kids go and get on the plane, along with the pilot and John and Dee Dee and their six children. So if you're doing the math, that's 12 people on a seven-seater plane on a hot day in Texas in July. Probably not the best idea. Don Burmeister is actually a very accomplished and experienced pilot. He, uh, he is a retired Marine pilot, but, but he hadn't flown much in this civilian kind of role in the world yet as a civilian pilot. In the military, before you took off uh, with an aircraft, you, there was someone who was assigned to do this. They would calculate the, the weight and the load and the balance of the aircraft. As a civilian pilot, it would have been his responsibility to, to do that math, to do those calculations. And no one really knows if he did that or not. But when they took off that day, one thing is undisputed. They were severely overweight, 450 pounds over the weight limit of this aircraft with 12 people on board, a seven-seater airplane. The runway was about 3,500 feet of gravel. After that, there was a clearing of another 1,500 feet. And after that, there were these 30-foot trees. They took off that day. But Don Burmeister, despite his best attempts, was never able to elevate the plane to an altitude to get over those trees. And when they got to those trees, they crashed. And all 12 people, four adults, eight kids, died that day. Now, I'm not a pilot. I'm not a flight crash investigator, although we've had several here at 845, and they all confirmed this is all true. You can check me later if you want to. I don't know how to calculate the weight and the balance of a plane. But I do believe that this same principle is true in all of our lives. That when the load that you carry is too heavy and your life is off center, when, you, when your center of gravity is off, we too will crash. I, I don't know about you, but whenever, whenever I talk to people who are going through a very dark and difficult time, Generally speaking, there's two things that are almost always true, right? And, and they're pretty obvious. First is whatever they're going through, it's too heavy for them to carry. The, the load is too heavy. Whatever the load is, and it can be a lot of different things, right? Either, either it's a stressful time in life, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on with their family. Maybe there's a problem in the marriage or problems with the kids. Maybe there's a health issue, some sort of sickness, or there's something going on there. It could be a problems at work. It could be a lot of different things. It could be physical. It could be mental. It could be spiritual. But whatever it is, the weight they're under, it's too much. They feel overwhelmed, right? They're, 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 you, you might even hear them say something like, I feel like I got the, the weight of the world on my shoulders. Right? I'm trying to keep all the balls up in the air, keep all the plates spinning. And at some point it happens. They feel like everything is crashing around them. They feel like they're crashing and burning. And why is that? Because the weight, the weight they're up under, the pressure they're up under, it, the gravity of it, it's all, it's just too much for them to bear. They feel like it's too heavy, whatever it is they're carrying. And they feel like their center of, of gravity is off, right? 
And that's because it is. They can't tell you the last time they prayed, the last time they talked to God, the last time they opened the scriptures to hear a word from God. They can't tell you the last time they spent time with God just to spend time with God. They can't tell you the last time they lost themselves in worship. They just can't tell you. They feel like, you know what it's like when you go to the, the grocery store or Walmart and you get one of those carts, one of those buggies where one of the wheels just shakes and squeaks and squeals, you know, like that. And you drive around the whole store and it's just driving insane. That's what it feels like, right? Or when you're driving a car and one of the tires is, is, is out of balance and you get up to about 40 or 50 miles an hour and the whole car starts shaking because you got a tire that's out of balance. Or you remember what it was like when you, you started to, to learn how to ride a bike? And, and at first, you know, the front wheel, you're just jerking it and turning it every which way. You lean this way, you lean that way. And eventually you fall down and you scrape your knee, right? Because you can't find your balance. That's what it feels like. A lot of people are living their life just like that. They're out of balance. And when the weight you're carrying is too heavy and your life is out of balance, inevitably you will come crashing down. And if that's you, or if that's ever been you, or maybe you feel that way today, I want to share some good news with you. You're not alone. Not only are you not alone, but this has often been the human experience. In fact, if you, if you go all the way back to the Psalms, the Psalms are the, the ancient prayer book or song book of Israel. What you'll see are songs and prayers written that express this, this same feeling of weight, the same feeling of losing your center of gravity. If you have, if you have your Bible or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, I would love for you to open this morning to Psalm 27. This is a prayer, a song that's written by a guy by the name of David. David was a shepherd boy. He was the same David that would one day kill Goliath, the same David that would, that would go on to become the king of Israel, the same David who, by the way, who Jesus would come from the line of David. This is that David. And I want you to hear what David prays in Psalm 27. Towards the end of the psalm is where we get a glimpse at the stress, the weight, the problem in David's life. In verse 11, David cries out to God. He says, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like your enemies are coming against you, like there's adversity coming against you? And whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is, whatever weights you're under, it's too much, you, you know, too much more than you can bear. You, you ever feel like, um, like you're being accused, falsely accused of things you didn't do, like, like David says here? Sometimes those enemies, they're actually people, right? I mean, they're, they're, there's people that you feel like for whatever reason, like you can't get along with them or they're coming against you or they've turned into enemies. They're, they're actively like, like, like trying to, to go against whatever it is you're trying to do. And sometimes those are, are coworkers. Sometimes those are friends you thought were your friends, but maybe they aren't your friends in this particular moment in your life or their they're family. It can be a lot of different people that in whatever season of life you're in, you feel like there are these people that are, for whatever reason, they're, they're just adversarial. They're coming against you and you don't know what to do about it, right? Sometimes those enemies, they aren't people, but, but they're still very much real, right? Those enemies can be a lot of different things. It can be everything from... From, from struggles and temptations and vices and addictions to good old-fashioned plain sin, right? 
Sometimes those adversaries can be different things. They can be physical problems or mental problems or, or even spiritual problems. They, these adversaries, they come against us. They come in so many different forms, but they create this, this weight that we get up under and we don't understand, we don't know what to do. It's just weighing so heavy on us. And David prays in the middle of this moment in his life, he prays these words, do not let me fall into their hands. It's almost as if he's praying, God, if I ever needed you, I need you now. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? I know I have. God, if I ever needed you, I need you right now. And when you get to that place where you feel like the load you're carrying is too much for you, where you feel like your life is out of balance and you're about to crash, the good news I want to share with you today is you don't have to crash and burn. If you back up a little bit, I want you to hear what David prays in the middle of this heavy moment in his life. In verse four, he writes, the one thing I ask of the Lord. What's the one thing you want from God? If you could ask God, I want one thing, what would you say? The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, here it is, David says, is to live, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. What do you do? Where do you turn or who do you turn to when the load you're carrying feels like it's too much for you, when you feel like your center of gravity is off and you're trying to find your balance? I don't know about you, but I feel like for a lot of us, when we get to this moment, when we feel the fear, what we do is we fix our eyes on the problem, right? We get fixated on the problem, but contrary to popular practice, fixating on the, the fear, fixating on the problem. It doesn't alleviate the fear or the problem. In fact, it does the opposite, right? It, it, it compounds it. Uh, when my kids were little, quick story, I love reading this book to them. It's one of, one of my favorite books. I think it was one of their favorite books. It's, it's called The Icky Sticky Frog. Anybody ever read this book? Yeah? Okay, well, I'm gonna spoil it for you. So just spoiler alert, I'm gonna tell you how the story ends. This is an incredible book. You should buy it for your kids if you have little kids. Well, wait till you hear the end of it before you make that decision. Don't click buy it now on Amazon yet. The story's about a frog. Here's the frog. He's the main character in the story, right? And the story goes like this. First, he spies, I think, a, a fly. Then he spies a beetle. Then he spies a grasshopper hopping by. And every time he spies another critter flying by, the frog does what frogs do, right? Out comes his tongue, so sticky and long. And whenever I read this book to my kids, we had sound effects and it was funny and hilarious and we laughed and it was great. And he would eat the critter, whatever it was, the fly, the beetle, the grasshopper passing by. He would eat every one of them. And every, every page, you turn the page and you knew what was gonna happen next until you get to the last page. You get to the end of the story and the frog spies a butterfly. And you can see, I'll show you the picture here. You can, this is story time with Corey. I hope you're enjoying this. The frog spies the butterfly, and I don't know if you can see it from where you're sitting, but this butterfly looks pretty concerned. He's pretty worried about his life right now. He's afraid of this frog and what's about to happen to him because in every other page of the book, the frog spies the critter, whatever it is, and out comes his tongue so sticky and long, and that's pretty much the end of that guy's life, right? You probably shouldn't buy this book for your kids. It's terrible. Um, it's all about death and dying. But uh, anyway, uh, the butterfly, what you need to know, is the butterfly doesn't have to be afraid. The butterfly actually should be very confident in this moment. If, if the butterfly had eyes to see, if the butterfly could look and see what was on the other side of the frog, then the butterfly would know that it has nothing to fear because what's on the other side of the frog is bigger 
than the thing it's most afraid of. You turn the page and what you find out is that on the other side of the frog is a big fish. And when the fish sees the frog, guess who's gone? The frog. And the butterfly is kind of smiling. I'm not sure what that says about the butterfly, but, <laughs> but it's smiling, right? What happens for us, right, is we get fixated on our fear. But what if we could see past our fear, see past our problems, see past what we're most afraid of and see what's on the other side of that is actually greater and more powerful and able to conquer whatever enemy or whatever adversary or whatever it is in our life, whatever problem it is we're facing, it's strong enough to overcome it. What a lot of us do is we fix our eyes on the problem, but what David does is something different. This next verse, it may be one of, if not my favorite passages in all of Scripture. If you have if you have the good old-fashioned paper Bible, you may want to underline and highlight this. If you, if you have your, your, your Bible on your app or your screen, man, screenshot this, save it for later. Psalm 27, verse 8. In prayer, David writes, My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. This is the invitation of God. This is is the invitation of God. When, when the load you're carrying is more than you can bear, when your life is off center and you don't know what to do, this is the invitation of God to come, to come and talk with God. Who do you turn to? Who do you turn to when the load you're carrying is too heavy and you feel like your life is out of balance? Before Keith Green died, he wrote the words to the song that we uh, we sang, I think we're going to sing actually here in a few minutes. The song is called, Oh Lord, You Are Beautiful. And I think, he, I think it was inspired by Psalm 27. I want you to hear the chorus to the song that Keith Green writes. He says, Oh Lord, You're beautiful. And Your face is all I seek. And when Your eyes are on this child, Your grace abounds to me. They say that that Cessna 414 with Keith Green and 11 other people on board didn't have to crash that day. It should have never taken off. But but even then, it didn't have to crash. Experts say that, that that Cessna 414, even though it was 450 pounds overweight, even though the center of balance was off, exceeding the aft limits, it didn't have to crash that day. But Don Burmeister, the pilot, the pilot of that aircraft, he did what I think any of us would have done, even though, even though I don't know if there's any pilots in the room right now, we all would have done this instinctually, I think. When he took off that day, the plane was, was carrying a load that was too heavy and the, 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 the weight was out of balance to the rear of the plane. And as he took off, he did what I think any of us would have done. He, he pulled the stick back, right? He was trying to raise the nose of the plane up to, as hard as he could to get it over those trees, right? But experts say that, that if he would have done something different, it's counterintuitive, like it would have gone against your human instincts. But if instead of pointing the nose of the plane up, if he had pointed the nose of the plane down and leveled off, he would have been able to, to gain the airspeed and the ground effect that he needed to then, when he approached those trees, he would have had the lift required to overcome those 30-foot trees that were in front of him. They didn't have to die that day. I think that's really interesting. 
Because I think what happens for you and for me in our own lives is we do the same thing. When life gets hard, when the load we're carrying is too heavy, when we're, we're out of balance, what do we do? Man, we fight as hard as we can, don't we? We pull back as hard as we can. We try to lift ourselves over whatever the obstacle is, whatever the hurdle is in front of us. We, we fight as hard as we can to do our very best to get ourselves and whatever weight we are that, that, that we're carrying up over that next hurdle that we're approaching in life. And more often than not, what happens for us is we crash and burn just like they did that day. But watch this. What if instead, what if instead of trying to pull up, what if you decided to do the opposite? And what if you lowered yourself? You see, the, the truth is, the only way to rise above the challenges before you is to humble yourself before God. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way. He said, humble yourself before the Lord. And what will he do? He will lift you up. See, this is the secret. It's an open secret, but this is the secret to life. This is the secret to living different, the secret to the life that you're called to live. The secret that that so few people seem to understand, including myself some days, if I'm being honest, is that we don't have to wait until we're up under the weight of the world to humble ourselves before God. We don't have to wait so our life is out of balance before we come into the presence of God. The secret to living the life that you were created to live is to dwell daily in his presence, to humble yourself before him. And I don't know, I mean, I'm not a pilot and I'm not an expert on aerodynamics or Bernoulli's principle. I don't get all of that stuff necessarily. But I, I have a strong feeling that, that planes fly best when they carry the load that they were created to carry and their center of gravity is on point. And when that happens, these planes can really fly. I'm talking like Top Gun, Maverick, they can go, right? When they are carrying the, the right amount of load and their center of gravity is on point and the same is true for you and for me. Whenever, whenever you carry the load you were created to carry, and by the way, Jesus said that his yoke is easy and his burden is what? It's light. And you center your life on Christ, that's when you're gonna really fly and experience the life you recreated to experience. It happens. It happens when you come before the Lord to dwell daily in His presence. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, what is it? To dwell daily in Your presence. Oh Lord, You're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. When you humble yourself before the Lord, that's when you know what he does. He lifts you up. Church, if you would, let's stand. So what would happen if we lived this way? I mean, there's, there's the obvious thing, right? Individually, what does it look like for you and for me to humble ourselves daily in the presence of God? to spend time daily in his presence, to spend time in scripture, to spend time in prayer. But what does it look like for us as a church? What does it look like for us to humble ourselves before God? What does it look like for us to dwell daily in his presence? What does it look like for us to say, I'm done with pride. 
What does it look like for us to, to let go of the things that we're holding on to? What does it look like for us to level off, to humble ourselves and allow God to do the lifting? Here's what I know is true. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And here's the invitation of God. May our heart respond, Lord, I am coming.